you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14. I've found, I found in my own life that, uh, and I told the, I told the guys in the jail this a couple weeks ago, but, you know, there was a, there was a time in my own life when I doubted my salvation. You know, you, uh, I got saved at 11 years old, to, and uh, I lived a lot of years without doing right. All that, you know, I, I only knew what I knew up until I began to learn more, and I didn't have a lot of guidance. But when I got older and I surrendered to preach, and I got under some preaching out in Georgia there, you had the Unassociated Association of Independent Baptist Churches. It was, a, it was unofficial. But anytime there was a revival meeting, you know, we'd get in the van and, and head over, and we knew the preachers, you know, listen to them. And there was a there was a street going on there to where the preaching was. Uh, if you don't know where you were sitting when you got saved, if you don't know if where where you were, or what you were doing, or what you said, or you know, then you might not be saved. Or if you hadn't been doing right, you might not be saved. It's a little bit off topic, but it's talking about faith because I came to that crisis, of conf- that conflict in my mind when I was homeless, like I was saved. I know I was saved. I know ex- I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know at certain points in my life I had turned to God and I had, I had prayed and asked God earnestly to lead me. And I also know that uh, something had changed because... I tell you what, that conflict, and we talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning he did, was that conflict, you know, when you go to sin. Before you're saved, it ain't no problem. You can head down the road, you can get in trouble. But there was something about growing up, and I don't know if I'll turn anybody off with this, but, you know, the preacher's not perfect. But uh, as, uh, as you get it going, it seemed like, you know, Every time I was somewhere and starting to get in trouble, I was the first one to get in trouble. I mean, even to the point of standing in boot camp, you know, and somebody's talking next to me and they'd look at me, still? (laughs) You know, that doesn't justify my salvation, but what I came to a crisis conflict, I said, well, I I don't know. What happened? What happened? And I reached that point and I I was praying about it and I was praying hard and I was turning to the Lord and I said, Lord, you know, you know. I said, I, I want you as my Lord and Savior. I, I placed my trust in you a long time ago, except I didn't know about trust. I just know that I prayed to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And this was about, I was 11 years old. That'd be, what, 81. So this was about 2001, 2002. And it was during this time that I learned something about faith. I learned something serious about faith. I said, you know, Lord, if I got to put a nail in it, let me do it right here, right now. Lord, I, I ask you to come into my life. But they, that wasn't allowed. It, he didn't allow that. I don't know how to explain how he didn't allow it, but he didn't allow it. But what I came to realize is like, Lord, I've placed my trust in you. You said in your word that you would save me. And I prayed accept you as my Lord and Savior, and I just got to trust you for it. You know, Brother Grady used to have a saying. He said, if Miss Hazel leaves me, I'm going with her. 
I said, Lord, if you leave me, I'm going to follow you. And if I get to the end of my days and I was wrong, then I was just wrong. But, Lord, I, I, I want to follow you. And uh, I don't, I'm not wrong. You place your trust in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. And that's where the faith comes in. You trust him to save you. And that, did, did I lose anybody on that? You know, I like to ask. Are you with me? But that was an important lesson in faith that that stays with you through everything else that you go through. I mean, it it comes down to to praying and God gives you confirmation on something in your heart. But then you get down the road a few miles and you start to look back and you say, well, I'm I'm on the right path. And it's like, well, this is where the Lord put you. Don't get nervous. I ain't quitting. But I tell you, you know, sometimes it's like, well, Lord, did you really call me to preach? Well, I tell you, I've been beat over the head with that a few times. But uh, you get down the road and you realize it's trusting the Lord by faith. So we have here a storm in the disciples' lives. And we know the story. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 14 here and look at verse 22. And I want to point out a couple things about this storm, but most of all, I want to point out some things about what Peter does in this storm. It says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. They cried out for fear. But Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. I want to point out a couple things about this storm. The sermon's not about the storm, but it's important to understand where they were. They had just witnessed Jesus feeding the multitudes. Jesus sends them to go over to the other side. He gives them word, and then he goes apart into a mountain to pray. They were in another storm before, but Jesus was in the boat with them, and he was asleep. And the water had been coming over the side, and they said, Master, care us not that, thou, that we perish. And he sat up, oh, you little, oh, ye of little faith, and he calmed the waters. And they were like glass. He just calmed them. And uh, they saw that storm. But they come through this storm, and I think I talked, mentioned it last week, but they come through this storm, and they come on the other side of it saying, surely this is the Son of God. This was a point where their faith grew. So the first thing to notice is that they were in God's will. God had sent them over to the other side. The other thing to notice is that they were apart 
from the Lord, but he was, he was there with them in that storm. And then we come to Peter. Who asked him, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. Um, there was a preacher. Have y'all heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest, greatest preachers, one of the greatest English-speaking preachers who ever lived. And uh, I still read his sermons today. But he was known as the Prince of Preachers and from a young age pastored in London, England at a church that became known as a Metropolitan Tabernacle. And uh, they read his sermons and as well as his classic commentary on the Psalms, the Psalms of David. You want to read some good insight? Charles Spurgeon's a place to go to, the treasury of David. So the ministry of Spurgeon was almost stopped before it began when Spurgeon was 22 years old. In order to accommodate the crowds that wanted to hear him, Spurgeon had rented a secular music hall. It was so big he had to get another place called Surrey Gardens, and the place was packed out with a crowd of about 10,000 people, and some pranksters yelled, fire, fire, and panic resulted. In the confusion, seven people were killed and 30 taken to the hospital. And this was something Charles Spurgeon took personally. He was the one that had rented the music hall. He was the one that had brought everyone there. You know, well, God was the one that brought everyone there, but they were there to hear him preach, and he took it personal, and he came to a crisis point in his life. Spurgeon was devastated by this tragedy, and the press that day tortured him in the newspapers. And it looked like his ministry was ruined, and he was taken to the home of a trusted friend to recuperate. According to the book, The Hidden Price of Greatness by Ray Beeson and Rinalda Mack Hunsaker, it said, uh, he was plunged into a pit of anguish. He sought comfort from God, and none came. Tears and doubts filled his waking. Waking thoughts and nightmares filled his sleep. He opened his Bible in search of strength, and it only deepened his grief. His prayers seemed to bounce off a sky of brass. You ever been at that point where your prayers just don't seem to get past the ceiling? Charles Spurgeon, the one who led many to Christ, the one who preached to thousands, had reached this point in his ministry where it felt like he couldn't even reach God. In the second week after the incident, while Spurgeon walked in a small garden, a verse from the Bible came forcefully into his mind, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, Philippians 2.9. The words bathed his soul and restored his faith. The name of Jesus became a strong tower of safety. Psalm burst from him, and the chains about his mind broke in pieces, and he was free. We know the rest of the story. We know that he went back to preaching. Just two weeks after this tragedy, Spurgeon was once again preaching in his pulpit. His first text back was the same one that set him free. And this isn't an unusual story. It happens to us. I told you about my own crisis. Every Christian faces a time of trial Faith gets weak, we begin to sink, and such was the case with Peter in our text. See, Peter stepped out of that boat on faith. He said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. And Jesus said, come. And when Peter stepped out of that boat, all he saw was Jesus Christ. Now, I I brought up my story 
Because in your own life, that story takes place. God puts you in a position. You, you prayed and you've asked God, Lord, if you want me to do this, just let me know and I'll step out. And you step out and you begin to get out there. And as Peter, he walked across that water right there with Jesus Christ on the water. But then he began to see the world around him and he began to sink. And I've used this illustration so many times. Y'all are saying, why are you preaching this again? It's just a walk of faith. It's understanding. Four times the scripture tells us that just shall live by faith. And that includes not just faith for salvation, but faith for daily living. So let's look at this. Verse 22 to 24 says, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples and, um, to get into the ship and to go before him unto the other side and while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was coming, he was there alone. But the ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. I think I already hit this. But number one, when Peter stepped out, it was a motivated faith. He was motivated to step out for Christ. He was motivated to, to do something for Christ. Have you ever been that way in your life to where you were willing to do something and you step out? Two things to notice about that. Number one, Jesus didn't get on him. Jesus didn't rebuke Peter. And then number two, he bid him to come. Jeremiah says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We ask the Lord to call us into service. There's, there's a desire within your heart. I know within my heart, I know God was moving on me a while before I accepted the call to preach. I remember being under conviction. I remember hearing them preachers and I was trying to sort it out. And I said to myself, I said, is it just that you like going to these revival meetings? Is it just that you want to be up there preaching in front of people? Is it just that you want to stand in front of people? You want the attention on you? Is that what you want, Keith? And I sat back there and I telling myself that. And I talked to Brother Grady about it. And there, there was a short time when that, that desire to preach, where that desire to surrender had just kind of faded out. Brother Grady said, Brother Grady said, ask the Lord and give it back to you. And he said, if it come, uh, you know, if you, if you can get away, you're probably not called to preach. You know, in my, in my lifetime, I've, I've stepped out on the water and I've looked around, and those waves were boisterous. And I've, I've told you all the story about coming out here, and I've told you all the story about when I, when I had the first church that I had, and, you know, it just didn't work out. Nothing bad happened. I just realized they wanted another preacher. I stepped out of the boat. I, I was called to preach. But I, I looked around. The waves were boisterous. The church wasn't growing. The people didn't seem to want me there. I, Nobody was mean, not yet, but I felt like they, they need another preacher. They want somebody to hatch them, match them, and dispatch them. You all know how that works with the preacher? The, pre the church had been there for 100 years. They had three last names, and they were carved on the pews from the families that donated them. I think they've been through about 12 preachers since then, so I quit worrying about it. But I reached a point where I stepped out, the waves were boisterous, and I, I said, well, am I even called to preach? And I just came out, and I said, you know, I need to find a job. i got to take care of my family. 
I look at Peter, you know, he reached a point and he reached another point in his life where he had denied Christ and he said, I go a fishing. And that's what I did. I said, I go back to Texas. We were out in Georgia and Dee has been hating it ever since. They, you know, they all looked at you, right, to see your response. <laughs> but I, I tell you something, as many times as I've, as I've questioned, and the Lord hadn't let me go. And it's stepping out on faith, it's trusting, and it's just, Lord, save me. And reaching that point in your own life, what is it in your own life that's caused you to step out and say, you know, Lord, I I want you to guide me. I want you to point me in this direction. But you step out there and you start to wonder, is this the right decision? I know one decision I never had that question on was marrying Dee Dee. I'm not just trying to get back in her good graces here now. But I remember, and y'all know the story, I was in the Navy and I'd uh, met her and I had driven down to Georgia, eight-hour trips, and I, I, remember, I remember the day. I remember where I was standing. I don't even know if that place is there anymore, but I was there in the Navy, and I was praying, Lord, I haven't been going to church, but I said, Lord, I don't. This marriage thing, I've seen it work out bad. But I, I, I want to be in a relationship that lasts. If I get married, I want to be committed. Lord, is this the woman for me? young lady, but I never regretted that. I never regretted the confirmation that I got and going down the road. Now, she makes life hard. I won't lie. (laughs) If she's about to go back to Georgia, she'll get over it. But, uh, But I never regretted that decision. Peter steps out of the boat, and he begins to regret the decision, or he begins to wonder, did he make the right decision when he steps out of that boat? When he gets in there, and he's, you know, all of a sudden, he's looking around. There's Jesus up ahead, but he got his eyes off of Jesus, and he looked down at the water, and you know what? It's wet here. The waves are coming at me. I'm in the middle of the storm. What in the world was I thinking stepping out of this boat? I've never walked on the water in my life. I've never been able to do this. I've never accomplished this in my lifetime. How in the world am I out here? You know what? He got his eyes off of Jesus. There's been a couple phrases in my life. If God calls you, God will equip you. I'm not just talking about the preacher. I'm just referring to myself to give you a chance to think about what has God called you to do? What have you stepped out on? that you might have backed off on, that you got to worrying about, did God really call me to do this? Was I really supposed to do this? You may be doubting your own salvation. You may, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just way off base. Maybe your life's going great, and every time you stepped out for the Lord, everything's worked out. You've never been in the storm. I don't know. Well, I can tell you, stepping out, Peter looked at those, and he saw the water. He was getting hit by the water. He saw the waves were boisterous. He had the wind hitting him, and, and man, you get out in life. God has given you the word. He said, this is it. The confirmation, but you get down the road. You don't hear from him, or maybe you're just going through the steps. Maybe you're just going. 
and you begin to feel the wind, you begin to feel the storm, and you look around and say, how in the world am I even doing this? And you begin to sink. Number one, you got to understand, it's a moving faith. When, when Jesus told him to come out, there was two things that Peter could have done. We know what Peter did, but we also know what the other disciples did. None of them stepped out of the boat. Jesus bid him come, step out of the boat. You know, God can, God can point you in the right direction. God can give you confirmation. God can tap you on the shoulder and say, this right here is where I want you to go. But if you stay in the boat looking at it, you'll never know what God has in store for you. You'll never know what he had in mind for you. It might be a rough road. The waves might be boisterous. The water might be wet. You might get out there and doubt yourself, but if you never step out of the boat, you'll never know. Peter got out of the boat and actually walked on the water, and Jesus gave him the strength to do it. If God calls you, he'll equip you. Ain't that something wonderful? You know, God doesn't want the person that says, hey, I got this, I can do it all. God, gets, God wants the person that says, Lord, I need you. Not by might, not by power, but my, by my spirit, saith the Lord. I told them young men in the jail, I said, when you get out there, I said, there's going to be tough spots. Your friends are going to come back around, and they're going to try to drag you. I said, but you got to know to turn to the Lord. He's the one that gives you the power to overcome. When you get to that fork in the road, it's the Lord that gives you the power. He will, with the temptation, make a way to escape. But it's a moving faith. You have to move by faith. A moving faith says, I will actively trust God and do whatever he wants me to do. A stationary faith says, oh, yes, God can do anything he wants, but I'll play it safe and I won't take any chances. So is a stationary faith really faith at all? And then it was a misdirected faith. Matthew 14, 37, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. But as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus and put them on the problem, he began to sink. That's the same thing that happens to us whenever we take our eyes off of Jesus. Uh, Donald Barnhouse gives an illustration. He says, when I first learned to plow, I got on the seat of the tractor, pulled the lever that dropped the plow into the ground, and started across the center of the field. After I'd gotten a few feet, I turned around to look at the furrow and was entranced by the rushing flow of topsoil along the plowshare. He just looked back and saw all that soil turning up. And he was amazed at what was going on. Rich and black, the soil turned over. Then I turned back to look where I was going, and when I had turned around the first time, I had unconsciously carried the wheel of the tractor with my movement and gotten away from the straight line. He even knows about that riding with me. He said, behind me, he said, uh, I pulled the tractor back in a line and looked back at the furrow once more. Behind me, wavering across the field, was the undulating line of my revealed, as though etched in the earth, the wandering vision that I had. I soon learned that there was only one way to plow a straight furrow. When you're about to accelerate the tractor and pull the lever that sinks the plow onto the ground, 
You must sight across the field at a distant point and keep the nose of the tractor squarely on the sighting point. You must not turn around to see how the furrow is coming. If you do, give only a hasty glance to see all it is well, to see that all is well. Make certain that the fixed point, be it a tree, a barn, a distant hill, or some other point. Woe unto the man who plows his furrow looking aside or looking behind or looking at a crow that may fly across his line of vision. He said, if we are not to waver, or if we are to not waver, we must have our eyes fixed steadfastly upon our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a misdirected faith, but it was also a mended faith. Because Jesus made it right in verse 30. He said, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. It was mended by request. Peter needed to focus again. He, he focused on Jesus Christ. He let Jesus save him. He said, Lord, save me. He cried out to him. Let me tell you, when the plow furrow starts to get crooked, when you, when you begin to sink, when you begin to worry, it's Jesus Christ you need to cry out to. But you know, sometimes you look back at your own life and you say, well, Lord, I kind of messed it up. I don't know if he wants. You got to have faith. You got to trust the Lord to save you. Those young men that I taught, I've been enjoying that. I'm not going to lie to you. I know I've been wearing that out, but I've been enjoying going to the jail. Didn't go last week. But it's really something to sit there and see all those guys. And I know there's been preachers that have been doing it for years. But it's really something to sit there in a room. I went in there, and I went back to the same block, and there was four guys the week before. I go back to the same block. Everyone but the same four was there. And there was about 12 of them lined up in that room sitting around and I was sitting there going through the Bible and I'm talking to them and uh, I look around at them and y'all know I like to get a little amen here and there. I look around at them and they're all just looking. One guy was kind of dozing. I can't say nothing because I've done that. I'd probably do it if I was sitting out there with you. Y'all be laughing at me. But uh, I look out there and they're all just kind of looking at me and I said, is everybody all right here? Because I didn't want to go down the road another hour with nobody following. You know, do, do we need to change direction? Do we, do we need to make an adjustment here? Do we need to go to another part of the Bible? And the one fellow over there, he looked like the one who had been leading the Bible study. He had his Bible out. He said, no, preacher. He said, we're sitting here under conviction. And I tell you, it's something to sit around people that are so anxious to hear God's word. They've hit the bottom, in a sense but they want to change. That's, such a, that's so different from sitting around people that got it all figured out. There's so many churches, you know, they say, well, they're full of hypocrites. You know, some hypocrites don't know they're hypocrites. And I tell the men, I say, you know, well, you come and join us. We got room for one more. Because nobody's perfect. But to see them just absorbing it, and, and it's like they were just so dry. It was like throwing water on the ground and you can't tell that it got wet. You know, Texas City's got such a good drainage system. There's times in the morning it'll rain, just pour down, raining. And, man, uh, out where I work, 
the plant will flood through. I'm down at the bottom of the radio tower, and that water will come from the plant, you know, because it's all concrete over there, and it'll flow right through. And, man, it's cut a little river path out there by my gate. You know, every now and then they got to throw something in there. But uh, they had to put asphalt to keep it from washing away, and it'll flow. I'll go into the radio tower, and it's like, well, I ain't going to get nothing done today. Y'all know how it is down here. <laughs> 20 minutes later, I, I poke my head out the door to check. It's dry. I felt silly for even going inside, but you know you were getting soaking I swear I was getting soaking wet just 20 minutes ago. But that's what it felt like with those young men. It's like you throw on water on them. You throw in Bible at them, man. It's just, just sucking up. Anxious. Wanting God to do something in their life. Wanting to, and they've got to, you talk about stepping out on faith. It was just the day before they were hanging out with the other crowd, or maybe the week before, maybe a month before, maybe for some of them five years before, I don't know. But that life is out there waiting, and the devil's out there waiting to grab them. Those winds will get boisterous. That water will splash on them. They'll need to cry out, Lord, save me. It was, he was saved by request. Number two, he was saved by rescue. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And then he was rebuked. And sometimes the Lord has got to wake you up. Why did you doubt? And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? So Peter was reprimanded reprimanded for his doubt. And then there was reverence given. There's a greater appreciation for God in your life when you've been through that storm. When you've you've hit that point, I can tell you, I told you the story about me doubting my salvation years and years ago, but I tell you what, there's a greater appreciation for God. There's a greater appreciation for his grace knowing that in Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. That gives so much more meaning to Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's something that he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and all you have to do is accept that sacrifice. He paid the penalty that nobody else could pay, that you couldn't pay. You couldn't die for somebody else. You couldn't die enough times to pay anybody else's penalty because your penalty is so bad. But Jesus Christ, he died once and for all sin. It gives you an appreciation to understand that Jesus died for you. So, verse 33, Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And the end result it was that Jesus was worshipped. And that should be the end result of our mended faith as well. There's a, there's a passage in Psalms. I've tried to preach it, but I haven't mastered it. But I just saw it. I, I like the water. I remember when I was working out on the dike, I remember seeing those tankers and wanting to go out there. I remember when I decided to go into the Navy. I remember getting my first ship. You know, when I got my first ship, it just got back from its last med cruise. And I get in there and I go in the galley. And I was so proud to finally be on my first ship. I spent two years in school. I was sonar tape, but I spent two years in school and I get up there. 
And I'm standing in that line, and it's like, this is my ship. Now, I got to do what everybody else tells me, but, you know, still, I get to, I get to be on. I get to go out to sea. I wanted to do it my whole life. You know, when I worked at the bait camp, I only went out on the shrimp boats a couple times. But most of the time, I was watching somebody else go out. I remember standing in that line, and I remember smiling. And I couldn't stop to smile. And the fellow that was behind the counter there handing out the food, from then on, he called me Smiley. <laughs> but uh, this, this passage in Psalm 107, it, it makes me think about it. It makes me think about the first time we went out to sea, and man, those waves, they were so rough. They called it Puke Fest 92, I think, or 91, 92, whatever it was. That first cruise out there, man, it, it, you, could, you could get on one of those ladders you could jump up, and you'd be at the top if you timed it right. If you timed it wrong, your arms were going to be left up top. <laughs> and uh, and I, re- I remember it was, it was so rough, and it was so, the waves were so boisterous. I remember one of the, one of the guys, in the, one of the officers in the CIC, Command Information Center, walking around with a bag on his hip, grossing everybody out. It's like, man, just go to your rack. <laughs> <laughs> Just let him off watch. We don't want to see this. But uh, Psalm 107, verse 23 says, They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. I thought about that. You know, Peter stepped out on the, on the water. He stepped out of the comfort and the safety of the boat. And I can tell you there's people that sit on the shore I don't even know if I can preach it now enough, but I just think about standing on that shore thinking about going out but never doing it, or at least not until later. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven, they go down again to the deeps. Their soul is melted because of trouble. You get out there on the water, there's no relief when that storm's going, when you're out there. And let me tell you, how does this apply in life? When you step out for the Lord, when, when uh, Brother Drake stepped out as missionary, he left all behind and he stepped out. But, you know, he's getting to see the Lord work. I was going to read the letter. I forgot to bring it over there. But he's getting to see the Lord work in other people's lives. He stepped out. He's out there when the... Uh, I mean, he's relying on the Lord. He's relying on, on the donations and things. But out there as a missionary, he's out there in the field. He's out of his comfort zone. He said, they mount up to heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. And then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and bring, he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. I just... I'll just throw it out there. Is God asking you to do something? Or have you asked God to call you to do something? Say, Lord, I, I want to I step out for you. 
For some people, that first step, well, for every one of us, that first step has been accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That seems like such a big step, and it's such a foundational step. If you want to be close to God, there's only one way. There's only one door, and Jesus is that door. But in your Christian walk, when you step out, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. If you'll stand.